made before. I like the way to dribble up and down the court. Just like I'm the king on the microphone. So is Dr. J. and Moses Malone. I like slam dunks and taking it to the hoop. My favorite play is the alley oop. I like the pick and roll. I like the give and go. Cause it's basketball of Mr. Curtis. Hey, Trap, we're going to do things a little different. I know this is the last show before the end of the year. Um, taking a couple weeks off just to let you know. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Get that out of the way. <laughs> but uh, NBA season's cranking up next week, and I don't know a lot about basketball or basketball cards. So I thought I'd reach out to a friend. I thought I'd phone a friend. And, uh, yeah, here's a little conversation between myself and uh, the DH, Drew Herndon. I uh, hope you enjoy it. I had a great conversation there, a great time talking with him. And, Learned a lot along the way. So uh, here's me and DH. Oh, and uh, cue a little intro. Well, Tribe, we got a special guest on, the DH, Mr. Drew Herndon. I'm not a huge basketball fan, but I wanted to have a... Uh, a basketball episode and talk to a basketball quote unquote expert at cards so that, uh, so that we could uh, get, uh, get a little bit of uh, knowledge to everybody. And I didn't want to I didn't know it's a huge weakness of mine. So I've heard that you grab a bunch of people that uh, know more than you and have a conversation. And uh, we got uh, the big DH on the line. So say how to be big DH. <laughs> Well, I appreciate the introduction, man. I don't know about the whole uh, expert part. I appreciate the uh, the the nice compliment there. I'll, I'll do my best to live up to that. But glad to be here, man. Uh, glad to talk some basketball. No, I'm a. I, I literally, I I my basketball knowledge is from the '80s and the Dallas Mavericks and the re- reunion rowdies. So uh, <laughs> I, I figured. Uh, Somebody, somebody with a lot more knowledge than I, and with the NBA starting pretty soon, uh, with this podcast oh, yeah. being released, I wanted to uh, wanted to at least get some, get some basketball out there and uh, have a little conversation. So I appreciate you being on. I really appreciate you being on. Oh, yeah, thanks for having me, man. It's uh, good to be on. Yeah. So big nice question. Finally, nice have. finally getting. Nice finally getting to be on the show with you. You know, I mean, it's been a long time. It's, you know, we've been trying to do this forever. So <laughs> I know, I know. And it's the hobby hotline. You know, we 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 always end up having other topics to talk about. We don't get to talk about you know something fun. <laughs> yeah. Consider that work. Consider this fun. Um, exactly. So, why basketball? Why do you why do you collect a lot, just a ton of basketball? And I, I'm a baseball football guy, but why basketball? Okay, well, I'll I'll preface it with collecting would be a little different term. Like I, I collect different things. Like throughout, like I'll collect all sports, but and but my basketball collecting is really limited to my favorites growing up, like old classic Hornets and old classic Heat, and then everything Tim Hardaway, because um, that was my favorite player growing up as a kid. So, like, the collecting part is small, but, I mean, I'm I'm in this, like, I, you know, I, I own the DA sports cards, and so for the industry side of things, basketball, the, mar- the basketball market is flush with with liquid – with liquid assets, like 
year round. And the market has absolutely exploded for countless reasons. Um, but it's also, in my opinion, one of the safest markets to get into. There's a lot of uh, validity in football and or volatility, excuse me, in football and uh, some other markets compared to basketball. And so basketball is just something that I saw years ago. I saw it happening. I, I watched it happen as, as I was doing the show and I would talk on the podcast about how how it would just keep growing and growing and growing and how it was about to explode. And then sure enough, through a combination of different factors, it did. And that this is one market that I can guarantee you has no sign of slowing down anytime soon. Yeah, I, I do see that. And I see, you know, I mean, even if you just watch Twitter, I mean, and, and just or quote unquote, listen to Twitter, it's every third or fourth tweet is about basketball cards. So you can certainly you can certainly see it there in the in the Twitterverse, um, but when when do you think that 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 change made from from quote unquote vintage to pre modern to what we have now would it be more LeBron or would it be or is there a, a point where you can put your finger on it and say okay now Absolutely. this is where basketball went bang. It was not necessarily LeBron. Now, LeBron, obviously, he reinvigorated the market. Like, when LeBron came out, he reinvigorated all of the card market, really, because you had him, you had Trout, you know, all around the same time. You know, those those guys really started to push it. But LeBron definitely reinvigorated it. But the basketball market blew up the second the international market dove into this and I, I i preach this i've been preaching this on my show for probably two and a half years now that people they don't understand how big the basketball card market is most cards that i send and most big cards that are sold go overseas and overseas like especially in hong kong china places like that basketball is viewed as a status symbol like if you have like they wear the I'm sure you've seen the necklaces like the slab holders. They yes. will wear slab holder necklaces with a card around their neck and walk around town. It is a status symbol. They wow. will hoard certain players and they will show that and that is a status symbol of your wealth in the in these countries. It is looked at so differently than in the United States that that's when basketball blew up. I mean, I, I have multiple friends that uh, are in Asia and deal with, I mean, they they drop $40,000 on cards daily, like on, on different trades, $100,000 trades just daily. And it's it's part of, I mean, it is, it's it's a status symbol, just like over there, if, if you're able to wear a... Uh, a stitch jersey compared to like a quote unquote China knockoff you're looked at. I mean, that's like wearing a top $5,000 suit in America. So mm -hmm. the international market jumping into basketball, just the combination of that and everything else in this hobby, it blowing up in America, all of that just made basketball just skyrocket. And that's why, it's, that's why I say it's the safest market. And that's why I'm saying it's not going to slow down. People in America can complain about the price as much as we want. We can talk about how ridiculous it is that the prices are going up, but the people overseas don't care. And if they don't care, the market's going to keep going up. Okay, so we'll, on the on the follow-up of that, what platforms then would you recommend besides eBay 
to sell internationally? Um, well, a lot of them are on Facebook now. Facebook, uh, Facebook groups uh, heavily. Um, blowout has always been a good way, but really the best way to get any any big card sold or anything like that, is, at least in my opinion, is to go on to a Facebook group and advertise that you have it. Just showing people that you have it, if it's something that someone's going to want, like if it's if we're talking, you know, Luca Prism 10s or, or Zion 10s or something like that, a crazy Zion Prism, just posting that up in the social media world. These buyers are, you, you don't understand, they're actively looking for it. They are actively, they've got alerts set up on their uh, cell phones, computers, whatever it is. If it's posted up, people will find it. And a lot of them, I know a lot of people overseas have people here in America, they, they pay to go to card shows to look for stuff for them. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it, they will almost come to you. If, you, if you've if you got something that, they, that, that somebody wants, they will find it. Oh, wow. Mm, interesting. So what would be we'll, – we'll take a step back. What, what would you feel are, are the best cards or best players to collect? Players that – like players that, that – are collectible to someone who has never been in the market. And we'll preface this. So, Tribe, I don't collect basketball. And DH and I have, have, have online, we've talked about or just off topics. So what, what do you collect? What do you, who would you collect or where would you start? So that's where the preface of this, of this question is. So, what, Drew, sure. what would be the best or the best advice that you would give for, to somebody who's just jumping into basketball to collect? Um, well, I mean, if it, it it all depends on obviously where you want, like uh, how much you want to put into things. Um, but I always I always kind of take like these uh, national treasures and flawless and that stuff and just ignore them because that's that's a completely different market for some hedge fund owners nowadays. But I mean, optic prism mosaic. Now I think I think mosaic. Now that they've moved away from it being just a different form of prism, I think has made it a lot more valuable. Uh, you can you can't go wrong with any of the chromium products ever. Uh, rookies, obviously. Um, this year's class, it's a little more wait and see. I'm a big fan of a lot of players from the last couple of years. Uh, outside of the the big big names i think there's a lot of kids that are about to make a massive leap this year um and so i've focused if it were me i would be focusing on jumping in and grabbing singles as opposed to jumping in and trying to just buy into a bunch of breaks and jump into a bunch of this and that because it can get very expensive and very little return because there are countless basketball players out there right now that are just incredible buys and i'm talking i'm talking buys that will go up two to three times where they're at right now in three weeks like i mean that it's that's how that's how quick this market can change and once they touch the floor and once that anticipation builds there's i mean i've got a laundry list of players you pick a year that the cards are just going to soar and then at the, at the same time kind of on the opposite end of that the if old school is your thing like if uh like me i'm 35 if i'm looking at stuff 
you know, from my childhood and everything, it was the 90s. Well, late 90s, mid to late 90s inserts and hard to find inserts. There were a lot of short printed stuff, not necessarily numbered, but just hard to find, hard to grade stuff out there. Stuff like that can be incredibly valuable. The old jambalayas, the old Dunkin' Donuts, just these old these old inserts we used to throw away are now $20,000 cards if they're graded PSA 10s. So, you know, looking into, so depending on what you want to look at, if it's nostalgia you're going after, I would definitely start at uh, mid to late 90s inserts, um, about 95 on to about 2000, 2001 inserts around that area seem to be skyrocketing in price. And then if you're looking for new guys, man, I could give you a laundry list of names. Well, let's go back a little bit further. This is, so I'm a, I'm a child of the 70s and 80s. Let's go into the 80s in mm-hmm. basketball. This, you know, with Jordan, Pippen, uh, uh, Isaiah, Grandmama, uh, oh, Shaq, Fu. I mean, what, what, where would you highlight into the 80s? Uh, or am I just naming the players that he should be highlighting into? <laughs> No, I mean, I think you nailed it, but you're seeing those cards finally get the respect that they deserve. Um, I mean, look at, look at Bill Russell card sales. I mean, uh, going back to going back further, obviously, but if you look at his cards for the longest time, his rookie was one of the biggest values in the hobby. And it's up by, I'm talking like um, probably five, six, 700% now. I mean, it's, it, that's how big now this market is focusing on some of the vintage as well. And that's why a lot of them are looking at a lot of the people, like I said, in this international market, they're also around my age. They're younger collectors. They're middle-aged guys. They grew up on this 90s stuff, too. So I don't think it's a I mean, I don't think it's not a coincidence that, you know, that's some of the stuff that's rising also in that era. Plus, you got some really cool stuff, some really cool technology happening. Then. But yeah, back in... Those guys back then, you can't go wrong. I think Shaq is poised for a massive, massive uh, uptick. I actually sold a, a rare Shaq not too long ago for uh, quite a bit of money, uh, close to ten grand. <laughs> so, um, I mean, there's some there's some Shaq cards out there that are big that are not rookies. One of these just inserts that I'm talking about, and uh, yeah, I think Shaq, Shaq, guys like Shaq. Duncan, people like that, you're going to see an uptick in their value very soon. Duncan, you're kind of already starting to see it. Shaq was Shaq is probably, at least in my opinion, he's next. I've got I know I've been pulling a lot of his stuff, and it's not necessarily the rookie cards. It's the the inserts and the different stuff, which kind of makes it a little unique compared to other markets, as you can find. Shack rookies for very cheap, where you can find the inserts for thousands. <laughs> so that's an interesting deal. You know, like baseball, everybody wants the rookie cards, or if they want the autos, or they want the, you know, they want the super super rare um, inserts or the RPAs. Are you so you're saying in basketball, it's not necessarily the rookie card, depending on the player. Well, in the it's 90s, more of what the insert in the 90s. is. Okay. Yes, in the nineties. In the 90s. Now, today, no. I mean, I mean, now, granted, there are inserts that you want today, probably over certain rookies. But from the 90s, some somebody like Shaq and 
even some people like Duncan. I mean, yeah, there's there's inserts that really out just outsell and the demand because that was in the middle of, you know, the the quote unquote junk era. So the rookies were mass produced. The inserts back then were actually the true chases because there weren't autos, there weren't uh, relics, there wasn't 10 game used jerseys or 10 event worn jerseys in a box. There was inserts. And so that's what, you know, was the true chase back then. And so I think that's where that kind of comes from. Now, don't get me wrong, uh, Kobe rookie, you know, graded at 10 is going to command some major money. <laughs> but if you look at someone like Shaquille O'Neal, I think he's a perfect example of being in in the middle of being the some of the mass pro, the biggest part of the mass production. I mean, he might as well be the Ken Griffey Jr. rookie. Uh, they yeah. they mass produce those cards like crazy. So his rookie card, his iconic looking rookie card, where he's going to do that dunk, has never really held a ton of value compared to other cards of that year and the years after that. And I think that comes from people seeing that the true, the true chase and the true scarcity back then were these inserts. So wouldn't it be, would it, would you say it would be an interesting um, buy or an interesting strategy to go out and start buying the old factory sets as, a, as opposed to going out and buying old waxes? Because with the with the factory sets, you're at least guaranteed the inserts, as opposed to with the wax, you're just getting a random portion of it. And maybe, Shoot. and again, I don't know the basketball markets, so they both could be equally higher priced. I just know in baseball, the factory sets are less than the wax. Right. Yeah. Now I don't know if all of the inserts would be included in those factory sets. I would have to see what was in it. I would imagine if they were, then they're going to be astronomically high um, because people just know those are in there. Now the problem comes down to condition because you know card quality back then was was very very difficult. And so I'm I'm talking graded here really in the end. Like you right. you want to get the stuff graded because. That's the difference. Stuff like clear metal, for example, so condition sensitive. If you touched it, it chipped. So the the premiums for finding nice stuff around that is astronomical. Um, and so things there, there's a lot of little intricacies in the '90s that make it what it is. You know, that was a okay. very unique time. Interesting. So let's go back into like the upcoming season. So the upcoming mm-hmm. season, we don't have the NCAA tournaments. We 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 didn't have it. Yep. We didn't have the the conference championships. And you had mentioned buying just the rookies and and waiting and seeing. What what is is there a better strategy for? Could you go back and look to, on their their freshmen and sophomore, possibly their juniors, and see and speculate? Or I mean, what might be a, a better? I mean that's. This year is going to be unlike anything else. No, no, what you just said is uh, exactly right. This year is going to be unlike anything else. We didn't have a tournament. We didn't have much of the season. Uh, a lot of these guys had even opted out before COVID began um, because the NBA is developing a system where you don't have to go to college. You can play. You know, a lot of these kids were taking advantage of that. A lot of kids played overseas. I personally think the kids that played overseas, you need to take a very hard look at and you need to watch their film. When you you see what happened with Luca, I firmly believe the reason that Luca Doncic is as good as he is is because he was playing with adults since he was 16, 17 years old. 
that that has a massive factor in these European leagues are very good. And there's a bunch of people <laughs> that are from overseas in this draft. You've got Killian Hayes. You've got uh, Denny. I always butcher his last name, so I'm not even going to do that. A um, lot of lot of good potential guys. But this year, if it was me and I'm getting into basketball and I'm wanting to prospect, so to speak, I'm prospecting guys from the last couple of years because the rookie stuff, chasing the current rookies can be – can be fun, but it can be very, very expensive. You can go get guys that, I mean, I'll give you some examples. Last year, Chumo Kiki of the Magic, injured all year long, was going to be one of the top guys in the league. I think he's going to win Rookie of the Year this year because he's still eligible and he's from last year's class. I think his his stuff primed to soar this year. I think, I mean, you look at other guys, uh, Eric Pashal. Now that Clay is basically out, he's pretty much stepping into Clay shoes in Golden State, where you've got uh, Wiggins and Curry coming back healthy. That guy's prime for minutes. You look at these guys, you look for the people that have a chance at being on the court. They have to have a chance, and then you have to take a look at their ability and then decide if you want to go for it or not. I think people like Matisse Steibel, Eric Paschal, Chumo Kigi, uh, a couple other guys, Wendell Carter Jr., um, guys like that, I think are are where you can make quite a big uh, quite a big imprint, you know, without having to chase the the Zion's and the Jaws. And with this year's class, I really would. It's more of a wait and see approach. If you want to go all in on somebody, it is a great time to because you can get stuff for a lot cheaper than in normal years. Like the rookies this year are not commanding insane money like Zion and Ja were last year. Granted, there's only a couple products out now, but you know they're not commanding incredible amounts of money. So if you do want to stockpile on one guy and take a risk, this is a great year to do that because next year won't be like that. We'll have you know you'll have film. It won't be that out of sight, out of mind mentality that the hobby has, and so. You know, you've got if, – if there's a guy you like, like I've got a couple of them, I'm stockpiling on them. They're cheap. It's easy. They're cheap, and they're going to go up because stuff's going to be getting pushed back. I mean, downtown uh, inserts were put into Prism Draft Picks. They were supposed to be put into Draft Picks Chronicles. That, to me, says Chronicles is probably not coming out. So, you know, that you're see, you're, we're about to hit a part in basketball where stuff – I mean, normally Prism is out right now and Optic is about to drop, and normally the basketball season is happening. Now you're approaching Prism and all that stuff back to probably the Easter Bunny. And so this entire market this year is going to be completely different than any way, anything you've ever seen, and it's a great time to stockpile on somebody that you like but you've got to go out there and you've got to do the research. And it ultimately it is going to come down to, you know, just taking that flyer because you don't have as much film as you do in the past. So that that's how you got to approach this year, at least if it's me, but if it were me, like I said, I'd be focusing on guys from the last couple of years that I think are poised to take that, that leap. Cause I always say the third year, Third year is where I expect to see you take that leap to superstar. And I think yeah. you've got some second and third year players that are about to do that this year. That's awesome. That's awesome. I, you know, I was watching 
Uh, I was actually watching the news last night. It's the first time I'd done it in a while. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't highly recommend watching the news because it's pretty depressing no. still. Uh, but I had, they actually had Mark Cuban on last night. Uh, of course, if you don't know, Mark Cuban, owner of the Dallas Mavericks, uh, Dallas uh, Shark Tank, very big entrepreneur here. And one of the questions that they asked Mark Cuban was the concern about the bubble last year versus not having the bubble this year and traveling and COVID concerns. Do you see that mm-hmm. affecting this this season, at least for the first half, because hopefully by the second half, the virus will be here, the vaccine will be out? No, I, I think everything will be fine. I think the NBA, um, they, they did a wonderful job with the bubble uh, this uh, this year. I thought it was phenomenal, and I'm sure uh, I have faith in the one the one sport where I have faith in the owners and the players working together is basketball. Even as bad as Chris Paul screwed that, tried to screw that up this summer, uh, it didn't work. Era when all this COVID stuff happened, and I still think they have a great relationship. I'm sure they'd figure something out to where if they're forced to go to a bubble, they will. I would imagine they've got contingency plans in place. Um, now, you know, we're seeing with the NFL right now <laughs> what happens when you don't have a bubble. But, I mean, NFL-wise, you'll see a bubble for the playoffs, I'm sure. And yeah. the NBA might decide the NBA could easily alter uh, where you where they decide to have, you know, five or six bubbles um, based on, you know, location. There could be switches. You know, we're not out of the woodworks of this ridiculously weird time we're in. So, um, you know, I think some stuff, you know, might might happen. But, I mean, football overall has done incredible. And their rosters are ten times bigger. There's a lot more people um, from personnel to players. Like, I mean, 10 times more than the NBA. That's where basketball kind of has the advantage. There's only 12, 13 people, you know, player-wise, and then coaching-wise, it's a lot smaller than other sports. And so, you know, I think they have an advantage there. Uh, I I don't see it being a big problem, but, you know, (laughs) yeah, your guess is as good as mine on that one. Yeah. Uh, well, and uh, real also, quick, I do I do want to mention one thing. What you were asking about collecting and everything, and people to collect this year. And I, I talked a little bit about rookies, but I want to put this on the record on your show, and I want your viewers to, or your listeners to you know take a look at this because the biggest and best buy in the hobby right now, and this happens in basketball all the time. It's not always the rookies. A lot of time, it's vets that have been out of sight, out of mind. There is not a better buy in the hobby right now than Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant rookie cards are so cheap, they will quadruple in the next, <laughs> by mid-December, three and a half, four weeks, Kevin Durant cards will quadruple from Raw to PSA 7s to PSA 10s, all of them. Kevin Durant, by far, one of the biggest, biggest buys in the hobby right now. Well, what happens if he hurts his pinky toe? Ah, uh, well, you know, that's why, hey, it's not long-term. I didn't say long-term. <laughs> it all depends on what you're doing in this game. See, I play this game a little differently. I play this game a little differently, man. It's not all – not every card I buy I plan on holding for six months. Some of them I don't plan on holding for a month. Um, you know, there's – it all depends on what, what game you're playing here. 
Um, <laughs> if I'm playing my collecting game, I've had some Durants for years. But if I'm playing my uh, my moving and shaking game, then <laughs> we're buying, we're grading 10 day, and we're flipping. You know, um, which is, you know, depending on, I, I know a lot of people listening to your show probably collect and sell too. So, I mean, if, if that's your mentality in terms of short-term buys, there's, there's no one better than Kevin Durant right now. Yeah. You're not the first person I've heard to say that there's a bunch of people that are, that are, that are lukewarm. They're not hot on KD, but I can definitely understand why you'd be hot on KD. Oh, I'm not a fan. I can't stand him. I can't. I'm not a fan of Kevin Durant. I, I do not like him one bit at all. But if uh, his rookie cards plan on doubling and helping my bank account and my son's Christmas, then you know, I'm all for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about let's talk about a little bit of a segue. And you know, KD didn't go through a big, huge tournament. He went he went straight into the NBA. What? How does mm-hmm. the tournament? dictate or how does the tournament uh, define or does it define success or not success in the NBA? Well, I think it it has a lot to do with your initial rookie success um, and your initial speculation out of the gate. I mean, you see guys make their names in the tournament and then you see their card for the first six months of an NBA season at all-time highs based off of a tournament run in March and that they were good, but that doesn't always translate to a year long, you know what I mean? To a full 10 year NBA career. And so um, I think it has a lot to do initially, but I think, I think ultimately it's just like any other sport. I think the tournaments where you can make your name, I think the tournaments where I love, I love the basketball tournament because it's really where, these younger school, uh, these uh, smaller schools, kids from small schools can really make a name for themselves. I mean, college football, yes, you get a bowl game, but let's be honest, a bowl game in mid-December that, you know, while everyone's busy doing something else on a Tuesday at 12 is not the same thing as the NCAA tournament. <laughs> right. In terms of, you know, in terms of getting a spotlight on you. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think the NCAA tournament's amazing for these I mean, you saw, I mean, you've seen countless people jump out and become darlings and get drafted simply because of their tournament run. So, you know, it does have a big deal. And that's why you're seeing this year, you're seeing a lot of people very hesitant on this class because they didn't get to see what they could do. <laughs> they didn't get yeah. to see what Anthony Edwards was going to do in the tournament. They, well, they wouldn't have seen it, but they didn't get to see Wiseman in the tournament. They didn't get to see LaMelo play a season. You know, they, they wouldn't have regardless, but they'd have film overseas to be able to watch. Um, so a lot of these guys, um, the kid from Oregon, I can't think of his name. Um, last name starts with P, I think, Patterson. Good kid. Yeah, I just bought, I just bought his rookie himself. card. So. <laughs> yeah, uh, he's, a, he's a great player, and I think he's one of those guys that had he had a tournament, he'd probably be one of the names on everyone's radar right now. Uh, what's his name out of Florida State? Um, Oh, gosh, they, all these guys' names are escaping me at the moment. Uh, Williams, I believe, out of Florida State. Another guy probably would have made big name for himself had he had he had a chance at uh, being in the tournament. Um, 
I mean, a lot of these guys, Marcus Howard, uh, let's see, Cassius Stanley, yeah, Patrick Williams, that's who it was. Um, a lot yeah. of these guys, I think, as R.J. Hampton. I think R.J. Hampton would have been huge. Halliburton would have been huge had they had a chance at the tournament. So, you know, the, the tournament's big on that initial impact of who's going to be paying attention to you once these first products come out. But once the season starts, you know, I, I think it kind of all goes in the rear view here. Yeah. So, again, with Cuban last night, he had actually, he had a, a very interesting train of thought that I, I thought was really, really, really good. Because you see success in baseball and baseball cards. Yeah. You see success, the huge success that, that uh, the NBA is having. And they asked why is – the question was why – why do you think the NBA has a great, a lot of success right now? And Mark Cuban said that it was basically the sociability, the sociability, if you can use that as a word, or the the NBA's ability to maximize social media and the players mm-hmm. understanding that and marketing themselves as brands on the social yes. on, on social network and the the fact that um they treat e- each other as brands and the NBA treats the teams as brands and then the players as sub brands where mm-hmm. you know with none of the other sports really do that basketball is number 1 they are the best at doing that and one of the side oh, yes. uh, side remarks that was made was well it doesn't hurt that you also get to see their faces and it yeah. really threw me off for a second. Where, if you think about it, all the the player face card, the the hockey cards that are out right now, mm-hmm. the big chases are, are players without their their helmets or their their, their helmets or jerseys on. The yeah. foot NFL, besides pro set that I can remember, the old pro set, they didn't, they don't really oh, show those. players without their helmets on. So, hey. I mean. You're talking and in baseball, yeah, they you can see their faces, but how, but what are the pictures that well, actually? Baseball, are okay, let's, let's make one thing clear. Let's make one thing clear. Baseball does the absolute worst job in the world of marketing uh, their players, and baseball players do the worst job of marketing themselves. It's a two-way street, but that they they both are responsible for making baseball not America's sport anymore because they didn't do that marketing. And you nailed it with basketball. You can see their faces. You know who they are. But they also understand their brand. They have more control in the league. But they've. this has been back since I remember when it happened because I was a kid playing basketball, and I looked up to these guys like superheroes. Grant Hill. Do you remember yeah. when Grant Hill came out and signed with yes. Bright? He was on Crunch Bars. You couldn't go in a gas station and not see Grant Hill on eight different things. Anywhere in the country, in that Pistons uniform, that ugly Pistons jersey. I mean, Grant Hill, they started it back then with Grant Hill, and it has continued through there. You had AI who went through, then you had Penny who had things. But they, they really started that. And, I mean, you can go back to, like, Michael Jordan and Larry Bird and the the McDonald's commercial, but the real marketing of a player as, like, a massive brand was Grant Hill when he Mm -hmm. launched those Sprite, the Crunch, the Nestle, you know, deals and everything like that. And 
ever since then, basketball has been great with it. But the one thing that they've always been wonderful at is adapting to new things early. They've never been afraid to try things. They've been on social media heavily for years before other sports were. And their athletes realize this. Their athletes realize that if you create a brand that you can, and you create yourself as a brand, you can maximize that. I mean, there's literally basketball players that are selling stock of themselves now. Like oh, that's it's, interesting. It's, it's insane. It's incredible. And it's, it's happening and you're going to start seeing it happen a lot more in the next five to 10 years. Uh, they, they are full on brands now and basketball you know, has a massive advantage in that, in that they're, like I said earlier, small teams, not a lot of players. So there's not a ton of people, you know, football on your own team in football, let alone the helmet issue on your own team. You've got 53 other people to deal with. <laughs> so, and then you go with the whole league. It makes it that much harder. Same with baseball. So a lot of factors contribute to it, but basketball has always been, ahead of the curve when it comes to marketing their players and I think they've always had the players that wanted to market themselves now football is getting better at it but basketball far and away I mean there <laughs> that there's so many of them that are just so good at it now it's not even funny when do you think they're going to allow um cell phones on the bench uh very soon uh, well no no no, no. Uh, on the bench no I don't think they'll ever allow cell phones because so no sort of tablets be, or anything like that or something well, where, I mean, they, I can where you can see fan interaction? I don't think you're going to see player. Okay, now, if there's some sort of device that's created where they can interact with fans from, you know, the bench, that may be different. But I think you really go into a dangerous territory of uh, – of you know throwing games stuff like that a lot of issues when you get just an open cell phone that has no restrictions on it to a player on a bench i i don't i don't ever think you're going to see 13 players on a bench with a cell phone now you might see a coach with a tablet they may hand a device to a player and let you know lebron wise on the bench talk to somebody or instagram something for them but i would imagine they would heavily moderate that Hmm. Okay, so nothing, nothing like I, I know that there's a football league starting up where they're trying to claim, you know, that the fans get to call the plays. Yes. There's nothing, like, nothing like that, that that you could see happening in, in basketball. I mean, maybe if Ice Cube wants to start another league, he can do that <laughs> or something, but not the NBA. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, let's talk not about where, not where the league. big boys play. Yeah, let's talk about minor league basketball because you know there's there's college basketball and then there's overseas. Uh, how come there's not like here in Dallas or here in well, North coming. Texas? There's the, the, the Texas Stars. Why why are, why is it minor league basketball as huge well, as uh, the rest it, of them? It's coming. It's coming, and it's going to be in the next five ten years. You're going to start to see. Well, for one, the one and done rule is going to be gone, but you're going to see the NBA they've already launched. They plan on having, they have the G league, but they plan on having another league, which is strictly for young people, young kids that don't want to go to college that want to play. And it is basically going to be like their farm system. The NBA is actively working very hard to build that. And that's what they want. 
Like, they, they understand that kids don't want to go to college. They're going to college just to play for that one year because they have to. And so the NBA is giving them all the option in the world to not do that. And, you know, they're setting up a very good system. I forget the name of what they're trying to call the league, um, but it's it's a developmental league. It's a minor league kind of deal. Uh, similar to the G League they have now, but more on an educational basis than for younger kids. So I, I think you'll see that soon because the one-and-done one rule is going to be gone fast. Uh, mm-hmm. It'll be gone probably probably next year. And so, you know, I think you're going to start to see <laughs> you're going to start to see a lot more high school kids come in, but you're going to start to see a lot of overseas kids and high school kids also just going into these new leagues that the NBA is developing because they're they're working on that farm system. They see it in baseball. They see what happens with it, and they've been working hard to get it. And uh, I, I think it's coming here in the next five years. So let's talk about the expansion then. I mean, if there's going to have an influx of all these players and you're only going to have 15 to 15 active players at a time plus the middle, could you see a massive in- expansion of the basketball teams and leagues, something similar to, to like an NFL type expansion where – where you know that you just start creating new divisions. Uh, the one thing that I could see in basketball, I don't want it to happen. But the one thing that I could possibly see happening in basketball is having an international division. Mm-hmm. I could see them start to have a couple of teams from another, a couple of different countries. Now, how that would work logistically, I'm not sure. I don't pretend to know all that type of detail, you know, but. They the, as much as they want, uh, what's his name on um, uh, his name's escaping me for a minute. Uh, Kamish, um, he uh, he's been very adamant about wanting to Adam Silver has been very adamant about wanting to have an overseas team, and I can easily see that happening. I hope it doesn't, but uh, I, I don't think you're going to see that big of an expansion in in uh, the NBA. I think you'll see uh, Seattle will get a team, that which they mm-hmm. should. Seattle will, will get the Sonics back. Um, but I don't know if that's going to be from a team relocating or what. But I don't think I don't think you're going to see an expansion maybe to 32 teams, but I don't think you're going to start to see the NBA go up to like 40 uh, teams or something. I think, I think the more logical option is you're going to start to see these international leagues become bigger the ones that are already big becoming a lot bigger because a lot of talent is going to be in these leagues. And so if, if anything, I think uh, overseas, that type of basketball is going to be become a lot more popular because they're just, it's going to run out of room with the talent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. It's very interesting. Well, let's flip for a second. That's a lot of, that's, it's about, 40 minutes with the basketball talk. Let's talk about hobby hotline for a minute and, and, and dive into that. Yeah. Uh, if you don't mind. No, not uh, at all. So we're, we're on 2.0. We're, we're rolling. We're kind of, we're kind of succeeding. We're having, we're having a great mixture of guys, a good, great group of guys. I'm enjoying, uh, you know, last week was, was the first week of engineering. Uh, where do you see the hobby hotline going Within the next, I don't know, let's say 2021, what are some of the goals? Is 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 what are the leaders of Hobby Highline? You want to see that that area go? 
Well, I mean, I'll tell you right now, we're going to push the thing. As, as I will push technology and the hobby and entertainment in this hobby as far as it will let me go. <laughs> um, as soon as StreamYard was invented, I tried to invent, you know, live shows, like call-in shows and things like that. You know, I will take any anything that we can do to build bigger. That That's the plan. I, I would like to see... Obviously, I'd like to see it, you know, the listener base grow a lot more, but I'd like to see it become even more interactive. Now, how that, you know, how we go about doing that, you know, there's a laundry list of things I go through thinking of daily. Um, but that also depends on, you know, there's so much changing with, I mean, I, to think that we would even be able to do a show where, I mean, two weeks ago, I'm sitting there with Brian Gray, Dr. Beckett, and Rich Klein, and people calling in. I mean, if, if you told me that you could do that three years ago, I'd laugh at you. So, I mean, <laughs> knowing where where Hobby Hotline could go, I don't know. But I'm just excited for entertainment in the industry in general. Because when I started looking at that photograph, the first show that I did, which now can't even count how many I do, um, I mean, there there wasn't anything in it. There wasn't much in the industry. There was very, very little. And to see it explode like that, I love. Um, and so where it goes next, I mean, obviously, it's getting on more podcast platforms. We've got an incredible group of people here with us. Um, you know, hopefully it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and it gets to be somewhere where people can go to get their questions answered, where people can go to hopefully be entertained and uh you know, that's that's ultimately what we want it to be. We don't necessarily want it to be like every other podcast where we sit there and we tell you about stuff. You you have those shows from all of the hosts and more <laughs> that you have like this show and others. Uh, you know, we want this show to be totally about the listener. We want it to be about what they have uh, questions about, concerns about, comments about. And so, you know, I, I just want it to keep growing uh like that and i would hopefully like to see the viewers become more comfortable and feel more like they're the ones running the show because that's ultimately what that show is about that's right and i'll say it once i'll say it again you do you boo you do you <laughs> as much as i can get that on as much as i can get that on hobby hotline i'll, I'll, I'll be a happy camper <laughs> well there you go man Yep. So uh, one last question. I know I don't want to tell I really appreciate your time. I try to, I don't know where my entertainment show or the, what this is going to develop into, but I at least want to be respectful of everybody's time. So Herman and I are in the middle of a discussion a couple of weeks ago. It's about a month ago. Mm-hmm. And I did an episode on what is a rookie card. And I'm a very staunch conservative. A rookie card is a flagship blah 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 blah. and herman says no anything could be a rookie card so and i'm doing a tally and i can tell you right i I can i can't say because i'll tell you offline what the tally is but all right zero zero herman versus i and i ask everybody in this everybody this question so to you what is a rookie card what is a rookie card yeah, what defines a rookie, a rookie card? card? Okay, a rookie card is defined by the logo on the card. Okay, right. so it could is be that, any, that rookie any card, card logo. Well, I mean, it can be any card with that rookie card logo on it. Now, I, I don't think that there's like 
I don't think like tops. Now there, do I think there are like the holy grail rookie cards? Yes. Flagship in baseball, prism in basketball, probably prism in football. But anything with that logo and that designation that meets the criteria because I've seen tops and other people put them on. I mean, you see it all the time where they try and push them into second year stuff as well. As long as it's within that criteria and has that logo on it, that's a rookie card. Now where I, where it, you know, I think it separates is stuff like, uh, like flawless. They've got rookie RPAs and then non rookie RPAs where they don't have the logo. So that, that logo designation to me, is what makes a rookie card. I don't think every insert is a rookie. I don't think or it can be a rookie insert, but I wouldn't consider it a true rookie card. The logo RC makes it a rookie. Okay, so now I'll tell the tally. So it's one-to-one, and I'm going to call this a split and say that, it, that I give a point for each side, so it's 2-2 two, two moving forward. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> There you go, then. Well, Drew, I really go. appreciate I'll, I'll you. I'll keep it in I, Yeah, there you go. That way you don't take sides between Herman and I. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really appreciate your your time, Tribe. Uh, I really, really thank Drew for being on. It was a wealth of knowledge. We had a lot of fun, talked a lot of basketball, and I learned a ton, and I hope you did, too. Um, we'll be back here in a, in a couple of seconds with some final thoughts. Thanks, Drew. Absolutely. Thanks, bud. Interesting fact that uh, NBA NBC intro was written and performed by none other than John Tesh. Yeah, that's right. Entertainment Tonight's own John Tesh. I know, right? I was just completely as confused as you were. But apparently he wrote it and what you're listening to is a live performance of. So that was very, very interesting. Now let's talk about the year that was um, remember I started in July so I have only a six month sampling but what a six month journey it's been uh, I've not loved every minute of it but overall wow um, yeah wow the love shown in the hobby just wow I cannot thank y'all enough and keep thanking you and keep thanking you. I can't tell you my sales numbers, but when I totaled them up, pleasantly surprised. Um, I didn't think it was as high as it was, but uh, it was real nice. It was real nice. And I should, I should finish with the, with a pretty decent second uh, or pretty decent uh, December. And then, Next year, I looked at what next year potential could be, and wow, just the ability to really buy some Pete Alonzo cards <laughs> and some Texas Ranger cards and some uh, accept the challenge and buy some 1972 Texas Ranger uh, cards. A lot of fun. A lot of fun. So, again, lessons that I've learned. You do you, boo. And that's just... You do you. You you don't let anyone else steal your thunder. Steal, tell you how to hobby. It doesn't matter. As long as it's not illegal or ripping somebody off, do it the way you want to. 
And who cares what anybody else thinks? I mean, who cares? If you enjoy doing something, enjoy it. Have fun. Who cares? Be you. Authentic. Be yourself. Don't change. Don't don't change who you are, your core, your essence. You have your opinion. And opinions are going to be different. And that's okay. But be respectful about it. Don't in, throw out insults and be rude and... Everybody's entitled to their opinion, and that's how it is. If you don't like it, okay, but be respectful about it. Be humble, be kind, and be thankful. Celebrate. I'm not saying don't, so please celebrate each other's wins. Celebrate when somebody has a great pool. Celebrate when someone has a great sale day. Celebrate when somebody does well. Bravo. Good for them. God rains down blessings upon them. Amen. That just lets you know that God's there and alive and that he's, that he's watching us. But be kind and be thankful for everything that you're given. That's not always the easiest thing for me to do. I'm brutally honest, I, I try to keep up with the Joneses sometimes, and I try to win the rat race. And I, 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 get up, I get caught up in it. I completely understand. It's easy to do. You have to, you have to be thankful for what's given to you. You have to be thankful for what you have. One of the ways that I do that is I continuously go back and I look at all the cards that I, I personally collect. And I think, wow. My efforts and God's blessings resulted in this. And it's it's really, really a beautiful thing. And I, I'm just so thankful for it. You must learn balance. I did a whole podcast on this, so I'm not going to go deep into it. But don't lose yourself. Stay single-minded into the cards. Don't. Just don't. I, yes, it's fun. And yes, you can get caught up in it. And yes, it's... You know, opening packs is like gambling and all of that, that negativity. But you don't really, you don't have to do it. Be thankful. Be kind. Be grateful. Those things, I believe, will help stop you from running into the rat race and trying to keep up with the Joneses. I think instead of celebrating wins, we, we get jealous. And that fuels the rat race, which takes away from the joy of the hobby. My gosh, just think about it. This it's like a it's like a search or a hunt for for the perfect baseball card. And if it's found, dude, somebody found it. There's stuff out there that people don't even know that's out there and it's found. I, I think if we take more of that approach, we might actually enjoy the hobby a little bit more. Celebrate wins. Everybody's wins, even if it's a small win, even if it's a kid that pulls a base card, celebrate that win. If they're excited about that win, celebrate that. That is going to kill the hobby. Do not, as I, I'm, I'm being stern here, and I probably shouldn't, but I just got a little fueled up. Do not crush somebody else's win. 
a win is a win is a win. Celebrate it. Diversity is key in card sales. And what do I mean by diversity? We've talked about this before. Don't, if you, you can just sell baseball cards. You can just sell Pete Alonso cards. But in sales, in sales theory, that is such a niche or narrow pathway to a sale. Diversify. And here's something that, that's really interesting. I don't collect hockey cards, but when the new Upper Deck cards came out, sure, I bought three fat packs, opened it up on Rip It, enjoyed opening it. Then I took those cards, I put them online into uh, sport lots. If somebody finds a, a card that they like, they buy, they, then they'll look into others. So, but if I only have Pete Alonso cards, Somebody that's looking for hockey cards may not know that I have Pete Alonso cards. But enjoy the diversity. Embrace the diversity. I bought hockey, basketball rookie cards. I don't like I don't do basketball. I don't watch basketball. Although basketball's coming up, I might start watching the, the Mavericks because Luke is Luke is getting me hyped. It's getting me hyped. And the conversation that was previous got me hyped as well. But I bought rookie cards in basketball just so I could see if I had the, the adventure of being diverse. And can I buy and sell or, or collect basketball cards? It's, it's a different aspect, but it's diversity. And in that, don't be afraid of change and to change. And what does that mean? I did a, we had a conversation about Sport Lots loot. And I said I wasn't going to do it at first. And then I said, okay, let me put it on at 1%. Sales kind of increased a little. Then I put it on there for 5%. So right now it's on 5%. It's doing pretty good. Be open to change and to try different things. And don't be afraid of it. Don't be afraid of it. Step out there. I'll give you examples. This podcast, Hobby Hotline, Monday Night Rip It. Herman, I would have never thought ever when I started this journey that I would be sitting here with a microphone in front of my face with a light on, with a stand, and with notes, and talking to you out there about my hobby journey. I was so afraid to begin with. I was so afraid of what if I say something that's not right? What if I make a mistake? So what? At least you're trying. Hobby Hotline. I was scared to death the first time I called into the Hobby Hotline. I didn't know what I was going to say, what if I was going to be made fun of, but I called in. I didn't know what last month's engineering deal was going to mean. I, I, was, I was so scared. <laughs> I was terrified. I spent hours prepping. But you know what? I didn't die. I got through it. Uh, it took months for me to convince Herman to do Monday Night Rip It. And now he's, whenever it's ready, it's an hour till he's like, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. <laughs> 30 minutes till we're giving each other a hard time about jumping on. And of that fact, I would never have the friend that I have in Herman, 
never had I not put myself out there. I would never have the friend that I have in, in Herman. I would never have the friend had I had the courage not to reach out. I would never have the tribe ever. The type of love and support that I've gotten would never have had that in the struggle that I, that I'm going through right now. Wouldn't have made it, wouldn't have made it without your tribe. So thank you so much, but I wouldn't have the tribe if we didn't do the podcast together, the hobby hotline together, Monday night, rip it, meeting new people. I, I, I would have, it would have never happened. I was just talking to Kim, my wife. And when we first, and when I first stepped out there and started doing this, she gave it a month, month and a half max. And the podcast, she thought it would go a couple of episodes. Be consistent in putting out cards. Be consistent, even if it's two, three, four. Five, and I, I honestly, I should be, pre, I should be, you know, taking my own medicine here. But try to be consistent, putting cards out there all the time, making sure that that each one and each platform that you're on knows that you're there so that they can continually present yourself. It's kind of like a SEO program that we talked about previously. Always be selling, but with caution. Trying again, it goes into the rat race. It goes into the to the keeping up the Joneses. Always be conscious of being selling without getting sucked into it. And that's a very fine line. You're probably sitting there sitting there going what is he talking? It's a very fine line. Again, it's balance. A couple of the harder ones for me to, to follow is supply spend. That's my biggest whammy and it decreases my margin, hardcore and expenses. I love going out and I love buying supplies. I love buying boxes. I love buying holders and penny sleeves and and I, I love going out there and buying those. I, I, I love it. I, I love buying expenses. I, I don't mind buying microphones. I don't mind software programs and earbuds. And there's a whole bunch of other technologies that I don't want to buy. But I have to be caution of my margins. I cannot have my expenses exceed my margins. So caution there. Anything in the positive is a win. Any sale that does not lose money is a win. I don't care if it's a penny. I don't care if it's breaking even. Any sale that does not lose money is a win. There are times where it's okay to take a loss, to know when it's okay to take a loss on a particular product. That's all right. But anything in the positive is a win. And keep your margin but don't be stingy. And what, what does that mean? We've talked previously about 3X and 4X and 2X and 1X and 1.5%. Uh, find your margin. Find your comfort spot and go there. But don't sacrifice it for a win or don't, if so, you know, you've got 20% margin and that's your average margin and you've got a sale there that's 15% margin. That's 10% margin. That's 5% margin. A sale's a sale because you can always take that and turn around and buy it and, and purchase something that would sell quicker or with high, higher margin. So any plus is a win. Keep your margins, but don't be stingy about it. 
And then here's one of my biggest ones. It's not, it's not for everybody. I've had conversations with a couple of people. I need goals. I need to set goals that for me, it helps me understand when I'm winning. It helps me understand and focus on what I would like to do for 2021. I just redid my goals. I did it per quarter because per month was too big of a, or too small of an apple for me to chew on. So I made less, less goals and I made them for an entire quarter. That way it gives me a chance to, to add in, subtract and move goals around. But still, I need goals. That's a little bit about what I learned. It's not fancy. It's not flashy, but it's meat and potatoes. It's what I've learned over the past six months to help get me to the spot where I'm at today. I'm pretty happy with that tribe. I'm, I'm enjoying myself. I'm enjoying what I'm doing. And it's great. It's fantastic. Has it been easy? No, but I've had a ton of fun and I've met some great, great people along the way. I'm going to try to do this without tearing up. And if I do, if I stop, give me a little patience here and a little grace. And I know I'm going to miss someone here. And if I do, I apologize. Um, but I need to thank a bunch, a bunch of tribe members here and, if I miss you, I apologize. Thank you, John Newman and Rich Klein for both your friendship and your mentorship. I don't think either one of you realize what y'all mean to me, your mentorship and teaching and your friendship and just listening to me and the advice that you both have given me. Thank you very, very much. Brody, you inspire me and you impress me, young man. I thank God for you and thank you for everything that you do for the hobby. My fellow Hobby Hotline hosts, Michael, Val, Drew, Jeremy, Jim, Brian, Jeff, Chris, all y'all make Saturday fun and just help me feel like a kid again getting up and watching cartoons and i look forward to every single saturday morning mike summer thank you sir if it wasn't for you i would never have started this journey thank you sir uh, stefan Ange, thank you for your support jeff the great mark hoyle Bo, ken mike janway dave gamble mike gibbs ray Thank you, tribe. Thank you very much. And here comes the hard one. Herman, I know you're listening, brother. And I thank God for your friendship. I thank, I thank God every day for you. You mean so much to me. And I really do appreciate you. I really do appreciate you, your, your, your friendship and picking me up every single day. You don't know how much you mean to me, brother. Thank you so very very much for for friendship and tribe thank you for your support and your love be humble and kind merry christmas happy hanukkah happy new year and god bless you i see trees of green red roses 
roses too I see them blue For me and you And I think to myself What a wonderful world I see skies of blue And clouds of white Bright blessed day, the dark sacred night, and I think to myself, what a wonderful world. The colors of the rainbow, so pretty in the sky, are also on the faces. Of people going by, I see friends shaking hands, saying, How do you do? They're really saying, I love you. I hear babies cry, I watch them grow, they're like much more than I never knew. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. Yes, I think to myself, what a wonderful world.